Take two. That was very nice. Uh, I don't think she's in the room. Apologize to Tessa for stealing her thunder. Uh, I love that song, and um, yeah, very thankful for the kids in this church utilizing their various talents. Uh, talents that I do not have at all. I can't. <laughs> and uh, so thankful for that, and also thank you to uh, Mike, Marcia for uh, leading worship today. I invite you to turn to John chapter 14. Also, I'd like to thank John Faber for preaching for me last week while we were in Ohio. Uh, very thankful for that. I'd also like to thank people who on uh, last Monday helped out with, um, with music, with the kitchen, with ushering um, for Cal's funeral. Was, that was definitely the biggest crowd I've ever seen in this room. And... Uh, and yeah, I thought it was just such a great service to honor Cal, who I know most people in this room knew. Um, I had the chance to get to know him over the last few months of his life. And I said this at the, at the funeral, but about half the times I visited Cal, there was already somebody else visiting him. So I could, I could tell he was popular. Um, John chapter 14 is where we'll be. And uh, before I read the passage, I'd also just like to wish everybody a happy 4th of July. Hope that you have a, a great day today, great day to celebrate. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings and freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. We thank you for the millions of servicemen and servicewomen who have served to make those rights possible. And we thank you for the rich and glorious religious heritage that we have in this country of men and women who have dedicated their lives to you and to serving you. We thank you for the ways you've blessed the churches who are faithful to preaching your word, seminaries that are faithful in training ministers and missionaries, and the ways you've used that training all over the world to advance your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you've used this nation for great missionary movements which have reached people all over the world. Lord, our nation is imperfect because mankind is imperfect. But we thank you for the good that has been done in your name by generations of faithful Americans who have sought to serve you first. Lord, let us appreciate and thank you for our blessings but let us also remember that it is always you who is the source of true blessing and that every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Lord, we live in a nation built on unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But let us remember that true life is found in Christ, the Lord who is the way, the truth, and the life. May we remember that true freedom is found in Christ, who gives freedom from the tyranny of sin, that for freedom, Christ has set us free. And may we live in the pursuit of joy that comes through Christ alone. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Lord, as we've done so many times and as your word instructs us to do, we pray for our leaders. We pray for Mayor Chad and the work that he does in leading the Cisna Park community. 
We pray for our state representative, Tom Bennett, who was with us a few weeks ago. We pray for our state senator, Jason Barrickman, and for the work that they're doing in Springfield. Lord, we pray for Governor Pritzker. We pray for our United States representatives who represent Sista and Rankin and Paxton, Adam Kinzinger and Mary Miller. And Lord, we pray for President Biden. We pray for our leaders, Lord, and for wisdom in the decisions that they make. And while we pray for them, Lord, we trust your hand of providence over the affairs of the nations and the world, that it is you in whom we put our faith, Lord, and you whom we trust. Lord, we also pray for June and Ruby as they are now in Indiana, and we pray that that would be a blessing to them as they are with their daughter and son-in-law. Lord, we continue to pray for June's health. We continue to pray for many good days for him. Lord, we thank you that they are together, though, through all of this. Lord, we pray for our time in your word today. That you would bless our time. We'd be faithful to your word. And that we'd be pointed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. In his book, Prayer, writer Philip Yancey gives examples of several prolific prayers. He talks of the 17th century English bishop, Lancelot Andrews, who devoted five hours a day to prayer. There is the great 18th and 19th century English minister, Charles Simeon, who rose daily at 4 a.m. to pray for four hours. There's an order of Catholic nuns who pray in shifts. And from that order, all day, every day, they have people praying. Martin Luther prayed for two to three hours a day, sometimes more. Prayer is a practice that the Bible calls us to and values. Over 650 prayers are found in the Bible. And prayer is something that the majority of Americans value. In research polls, I saw that numbers ranging from 55 to 65 percent of Americans say that they pray every day. But there's often a disconnect. Even though we know it's important, even though many of us do it, for many, it can still be a struggle. The prayer life is not full of joy and expectation or intimacy with God for many of us. Prayer can feel sometimes cold and stagnant. To some, it can feel like a waste of time or pointless. There are absolutely people who are prayer warriors, like the people I mentioned a moment ago. But I think for many of us, if we're being truly honest, have somewhat of an unsatisfactory prayer life. But why is that the case? Yancey, I think, again, offers some helpful observations in his book. Why do we struggle with prayer in America? Technology could possibly be part of that. We live in a very agricultural area. And by the way, as somebody who grew up in a city, I grew up hearing knee-high by the 4th of July. I did not realize in reality it's over your head by the 4th of July. Maybe that used to be true. But today, farmers have space-age equipment that they use to help the process. That's not to say, by the way, that farmers are not prayerful for their harvest. 
But it can be tempting to want to just rely on machines, not just in agricultural agriculture. I think it's true with medical technology. Again, the point is not that people do not pray for themselves or pray for others. But in the modern world, perhaps we don't always feel the total reliance upon God that we should or that people would have felt a century ago. Yancey also suggests that perhaps the prosperity in our society inhibits prayer. That we can face this temptation to want to rely on ourselves, on our own abilities, on our own talents, instead of prayer. That what we can do, what we can make happen. And to add one more, in my opinion, I think that part of the reason why prayer can be such a struggle for so many is that we're oftentimes not really very well educated and taught about prayer. And our passage today, I think, gets at the true heart of the Christian prayer life. And if prayer is a challenge for you, it is my prayer that today's message will be helpful as we resume in the Gospel of John this morning. Going to the beginning of our passage, Jesus says in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. What does that mean? Does that mean that we always get what we want? Some interpret it that way. And in fact, there are other verses in the Gospels which seem to say similar things. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. John chapter 16, verse 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. One verse later, verse 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And again, it's not just in John's gospel. Matthew 21, 22. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And there are still more places that we could go to. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Well, in that case, I want a mansion and a jet and a lake. And to own the Cubs. Not for the reason that you think. I would tank the franchise. That's not what the verse is saying. Now, we don't have time this morning to fully unpack all of those verses. But I'll make just a general comment that none of those verses actually gives an unconditional promise that all prayers will be answered in the way in which we want. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That is not an unconditional promise that we always get what we want when we pray. It's what we ask in Jesus' name. And the point of that is not some perfunctory addition of Jesus' name in prayer that would cause it to become answered. That would not be prayer. It would be witchcraft. It would be just say this incantation. That's not what the verse is saying. 
Nothing in the passage is saying you can get whatever you want. In fact, the passage is not primarily even about us. It's a passage, John chapter 14, that revolves around God. In 31 verses, Jesus refers to his father 23 times. It's a passage that is spiritual. It's a passage that is missional. It's a passage that has a heavenly focus. And in these verses, it's a passage today which deals with the glory of God. So what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is to make three points regarding prayer. The object of prayer, the purpose of prayer, and the power of prayer. So again, stated in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, as with many other things that Jesus says in his ministry, I think we can lose sight of just how radical his words are. Think about it. If Jesus is not God on earth, if he's not the savior of the world, then what he's saying is crazy. That we're to pray in his name. That is utterly blasphemous if Jesus is not who he claims to be. All of the people you've met in your lifetime, I doubt that any of them have ever instructed you that you should pray to them. To invoke their name as a source of blessing. But Jesus does. Because he's the Lord. Whatever you ask in my name. It's also interesting considering how much, how much time that Jesus spends in this passage and in John chapter 14 talking about his father and honoring and glorifying his father. Yet he says, whatever you ask in my name. And so again, the point is not just pray for whatever and just attach Jesus' name onto it and it'll cause it to happen. And his commentary on John J. Ramsey Michaels says that asking in Jesus' name is asking as if Jesus himself was asking. That's what it means to ask in his name. Edward Clank, in his commentary, argues that in the ancient world, a person's name represented the character of the person. And I think even today that that's still somewhat true. A good family name, for instance, means something. There are names in American politics that are, are familiar to our ears, either for good or for bad. There are names in this town that mean something. Names that have a certain prestige and ones that might be more infamous. Sometimes unfairly. But we have these associations with a name. And Jesus is saying that we are enabled to pray in his name. That means something. Borrowing again from Edward Clink. To truly and sincerely pray in the name of Jesus ultimately is meant to deny what we want and instead adopt the things that Christ himself wants, that he values. That praying in the name of Jesus is a sacred task. And we should never be flippant about that. New Testament scholar Colin Cruz says, to ask something of Jesus in Jesus' name is best understood to mean to ask something for Jesus' sake. We pray in the name of Jesus. Now our prayers are often addressed to God, to the Father, 
or to our Heavenly Father or to our Father in Heaven. But at the end, we pray in Jesus' name. He is the one who enables us to go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. It is because of his name, because of the salvation that he brings, and because of the life that he invites us into. And that brings us to our second point, the purpose of prayer. Remembering that the object of our prayer is Jesus, and that he has instructed us to pray in his heavenly name, and to pray for his holy purposes. In his commentary, Grant Osborne says, to pray in Jesus' name means to pray in union with who and what he is, to pray in accordance with his will. Self-centered prayers are not answered. When Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and gives what's known as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse 10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. We see similar language in Luke 11.2 when Jesus again is talking to the disciples about prayer and uses the phrase, your kingdom come. Now in John, it's a different event, but Jesus is again talking about prayer. It says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God is glorified through his Son. He is glorified through his sovereign will in the world. And he is glorified through his coming kingdom. And Jesus answers prayers so so that the Father can be glorified through the work of the Son. Prayer is a transformational spiritual interaction between creatures and our Creator where we are invited to speak and to be heard by God. Prayer is God inviting us into his presence in adoration of his goodness, in confession of our sins, in lamentation of the sins of the world, in thanksgiving for his blessings, and in making intercession on behalf of our lives, family, church, and world around us. Prayer should always be in pursuit of God's will and creation and in our own activities for the sake of the glory of God. Again, prayer should always be in pursuit of God's will and for the sake of the glory of God. And so to summarize, prayer to God is meant to conform our hearts and wills to the will of God for the glory of God. To quote Tim Keller from his book, Prayer, Experiencing Intimacy in All with God, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. And so the heart of prayer is not about trying to get God to align with our will. It is to get our will to align with God. It is to surrender to God. It is to let go and let God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, 
and perfect. Prayer is meant to have time that is set aside to put our focus entirely on God. To focus on his goodness and his will. There are a million stresses and frustrations and questions that we face every day. But in prayer, it's meant to be time with the Lord. But again, we so often don't take that time. Is it a wonder that our world and our society are so anxious? In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come in flowing. Listening to God, making time for God. It's your kingdom come, your will be done, not my kingdom come, my will be done. Certainly we should pray for our needs and for those of our loved ones and for our church and for our nation and for the people in our lives. We should pray and thank God for the blessings that he's given us and to confess our sins before God. But I think we oftentimes look at prayer about things and overlook the spiritual aspect to prayer. That God cares more about spiritual blessings. He cares more about our sanctification and spiritual formation than comfort and ease. Early in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God cares about our faith and faithfulness. He cares about our holiness. Later in that same chapter of Ephesians, Paul will talk about how he has prayed for the Ephesian church. Ephesians 1, verses 16 to 20. Just listen. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul is saying that that is what he is praying for, for this church. Lofty, very lofty. That they would have the knowledge of God, knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance, his immeasurable greatness. Lofty. But prayer is supposed to be lofty. It's directed to the infinite and almighty God of the universe. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Again, much of what gets answered in prayer is spiritual. And we should cling to God's promises. We don't always know the specifics of what God's will is. 
And sometimes I think we can get too caught up in that. Well, what's God's will for this? What's God's will for this situation? What's God's will for my life? It's God's will that we love him and that we serve him. It's his will that we have faith and pursue holiness. It's his, love that, it's his will that we love each other and love others. That if we're doing those things, we're already on a pretty good track to following God's will. There are certain prayers which God always answers. God will always answer when we come to him for salvation. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God always grants us forgiveness when we seek it. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God grants us wisdom when we seek it. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And so many other things we can talk about. So many other things that we could pray for. That we would know, love, and honor God more fully with every day of our lives. We can pray that we would grow in the knowledge of the glory of God daily. We can pray that we become even greater witnesses to the world of the love and grace of God. We can pray for opportunities to reach people with the gospel. And we can pray for this church and for the people here and that we would grow as people and as a church And to pray for this community of faith. And those are just a few examples. Turning to God. Spending time with God. Prayer also teaches humility towards God. That we are not in control. We are not in control of our own lives. We are not in control of our circumstances. It teaches us that what we go through, we can go through with God. Prayer is a time to sit with God and bask in his glorious goodness and to rest in him. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Taking time to just sit with God. So we've talked about the object of our prayer, Jesus. We've talked about the purpose of prayer, that prayer is meant to conform our hearts and wills to the will of God for the glory of God. Third point, the power of prayer. Verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, verse 14 is very similar to the beginning of verse 13. In both places, the point revolves around Jesus granting requests which are asked in his name. Given what Jesus has said in verse 13, and grounding the reason and the glory of God, he reiterates that the prayer which is made in him, he answers. And so as we begin to wind down, I think it's important to remember the power of prayer, that God answers prayers. 
And the more in tune we are with the will of God, the more discernment we have. I think the more we see God answering prayers out of his goodness. I'm sure that we could go around the room and find thousands of examples of prayers that the Lord has answered. Of things that we prayed for. In our lives and in the lives of our loved ones. That our God is a good God. And I think actually a good practice is to write down our prayers. For a couple reasons. One, so we remember them. And two, so that we see God's faithfulness over time. But nevertheless, we must also understand that not all prayers are answered in the way we want. Even some of the good things we pray for. Praying for healing from an illness or recovery from an injury. Those are good things. But God does not always answer prayers or does not always answer prayers on the timeline we would hope for. We're finite. We do not always understand why a certain prayer might go unanswered. And those can be some of the hardest experiences in life. The world is fallen. And no matter how faithful we are, no matter how faithful this church is in prayer, there is still sin and sorrow and sickness and death. And sometimes we don't get what we pray for. And we don't know why. And it doesn't make sense. But it takes us back to the heart of prayer, which is reliance upon God. Sometimes a prayer is not answered because of timing. In the book of Habakkuk, there is wickedness and destruction in Israel. And the prophet has made a plea before the Lord. God says to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Slide this one. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. Sometimes a prayer is not answered because God's will is to do something else. As Keller said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked. If we knew everything he knew. And can we trust that? And can we believe that? Sometimes it's hard. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about some sort of malady that he was suffering. We don't know specifically what the issue was. Paul simply refers to it as his thorn in the flesh. It's generally assumed that it was some sort of health issue, not a literal thorn, but we really don't know what it was. But Paul talks about praying for relief. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
that God's grace is meant to be sufficient for us. The prayer in that situation was unanswered because God was glorified for Paul's affliction. And when Paul knew that, he rejoiced in God's glory. But that's hard to do. There are immense challenges that we go through in life that are not good. But that God uses those for good and to shape us into who we become. We don't always know why God does or does not do what we think he should. And explanations that people try to give often don't really make us feel that much better. In the book of Isaiah, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes we can get cynical of God because of that. We question why he doesn't answer a certain prayer. But the reason why he answers any prayer is because of his goodness. That we don't inherently deserve anything good from God. But he does so much good in this world and for his people. The greatest problem in the world is not a lack lack of goodness on the part of God. It's the sinfulness of humanity. As I close, I have a story about a Another British preacher of the 19th century, a man named George Mueller. He was an evangelist, a pastor. His life encompassed almost the entire 19th century, living from 1805 to 1898. He's probably most remembered for his orphanage, orphanages more than one, that he operated in, in the British working class town of Bristol. Thousands of children passed through his orphanages. Mueller famously never asked for money, but relied entirely on God's provision. And some of the stories of prayers that were answered in his lifetime are absolutely incredible. There's a story about the orphanage running out of food and then praying in a milk truck breaking down right in front of the building and then giving it to the orphanage because they didn't want it to spoil. Crazy things like that. In his life, Mueller wrote down his prayers. Again, he lived well over 90 years. And from his notes, he has 50,000 prayers that he saw answered in his lifetime. And many more that were answered after his lifetime. People he prayed for who he never saw come to faith, but who did after he died. A man dedicated to prayer. Pray with fervency. Pray with faith and hope. Pray with expectancy that God does answer prayers. And pray with intimacy that God invites us to know him. That God does answer prayer. That God is powerful. That he is good. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, again, there is... So many challenges in our lives and in the world. Lord, through all of that, may we come beside you and sit with you in prayer. 
Lord, may it be something that is not a chore that we have to do, but an act of joy that the king of the universe invites us to come before him in prayer. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that we would be a people more and more dedicated to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing I want to mention. We started doing this last year, right before COVID started. And obviously that we all lived through it. It was a crazy year. But some of you might remember that before that, uh, we used to have a prayer meeting in the mornings. And I was thinking about this and praying about this yesterday, but I would like to restart that. It was very, for people who came, it was very informal. Uh, there wasn't any kind of lesson. It was just, it was just prayer. Um, and so if anybody who would like to participate next Sunday morning at 9.45, so about 45 minutes before the service, I'll be downstairs and uh, I invite you to join me. I'll send out an announcement on one call. Uh, oh, one last thing. I don't know if anybody else has been having internet issues this week, but if the video takes a little bit longer to upload today, that's the reason why. Thank you. And we'll have our last song now.